This sermon was recorded at Highway Palo Alto in Palo Alto, California. If you'd like to find out more about Highway Community, you can head to www.highway.org. Good morning, everyone. Uh, it's great to see all of you on this final Sunday uh, before Christmas. So many exciting things have been happening around here. Last Sunday evening was our Christmas pageant, where we got to, yes, whoop, uh, where we got to enter into the story of the nativity through song and through scripture, facilitated largely by a company of like 30-ish of our kids from preschool all the way to ninth grade. Uh, and it was just the right mixture of meaningful, heartfelt moments offset by the kind of hijinks that can only come when you've got 30 kids on stage for like 45 minutes. It was a real community effort, all the way from organizing the costumes to running slides to prepping the food for lunch so said kids didn't get hangry during the dress rehearsal. Uh, Thank you to everyone who helped put this together because there's just something about the story that we come back to year after year. Mary and Joseph the angels, shepherds, manger, and Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us, the fullness of God wrapped in skin and bone to step into human history. And even though we try to capture it through song or convey it through film, uh, we write about it, we talk about it, we create traditions of practice in our homes and in our lives. There's something about this moment, as spectacular as it is, Uh, that can start to take on a familiarity that can inoculate us from the wonder that it contains. And so this Advent season, we wanted to come back to this question. Why? Why did Jesus come? Why the incarnation? Why Emmanuel? And why is such an important question to ask? Because it fights against the superficial It fights against the niceties, the platitudes, the one-dimensional responses that are never quite satisfying, even if they are comfortable. See, why pushes us past that into something that, if we are willing, can take deep root in our lives, even if it's something that's familiar, like the Christmas story uh, that we've heard or uh, seen for what seems like a thousand times. It can stay on the surface. We can sing a few songs. We can light some candles, we can exchange some gifts, or the truths of this moment can get woven into the fabric of our lives in a way that moves past something that we just know into something that we live and experience. See, I'm convinced that there's many of us here in this room that know a lot about God, and yet at the same time, there's so many of us in this room who long to experience God to feel this deep sense of rootedness. And so our hope is that coming back to this moment, when God stepped into human history in the person of Jesus, through this lens of why, can unearth for us some things that we may have known, but not known. That Jesus came to show us the fullness of God's glory. To help us see it in a way that hadn't quite been able uh, to be comprehended before. John 1 verse 14, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father full of grace 
and truth. John 1, 18. No one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father has made him known. See, Jesus came to show us what God's glory is like. To help us see it, to help us understand it, to help us comprehend it, to let it sink in in a way that takes hold of us, that starts to transform us from the inside out and shape the way that we see the world and ourselves. Because what God does with his glory is not like anything the world has known before. See, I get really nervous when I meet famous people. And when Brittany and I got married, we moved to L.A. for me to intern at a pretty big, pretty hip, pretty influential church there. And the pastor there was like my hero, uh, international speaker, best-selling author, uh, with all these awesome side gigs, with these ridiculously cool titles. Like he was a cultural futurist for Sony Pictures. How awesome is that? And I would get so nervous every time I talked to him. Uh, and I learned a couple of important things. Uh, when I get nervous to talk to somebody, I lose the ability to modulate the volume of my voice and the pace at which I speak. And so he'd say hi, and I would shout at him. Some sort of nonsensical response, which is very awkward for me. Also hilarious for my wife and to my parents who saw me do it at our internship graduation party. But that's kind of what being around glory is like, how we experience it. Like an awareness of this difference, this distance even. Like I don't even operate in the same sphere of, as you. See, our view of glory tends to create distance. But in Jesus, we see that as the fullness of God's glory, he doesn't distance himself, but he leans into presence. That the word became flesh and dwelled among us, tabernacled among us. In Jesus, we see God present in the miracles and also in the suffering. That before he raised Lazarus from the dead and the real dead, legit dead, for real dead, four days old and starting to smell dead. Before he raised Lazarus from the dead, he wept with Mary and Martha because that's Emmanuel. That's how God is present with his people. As Jesus shows us God's glory doesn't create distance. It sets the bar for presence to the good and to the bad, to the joy and to the pain, to the miraculous and mundane, that God is with us in all of those moments and everything in between. And last week, we talked about that in a world that seems hell-bent, and I truly mean it when I use that phrase, in a world that seems hell-bent on creating as much division, as much animosity, as many fractures as possible, that Jesus came to reconcile all things, to make peace by his blood shed on the cross. See, the fullness of God's glory made visible in Jesus doesn't divide. It restores. It makes things whole. It makes a way for all of the relationships that have been broken by sin, whether that's with God, with ourselves, with each other, or with creation. It makes a way for all of those relationships to be reconciled. 
So why did Jesus come? Why Emmanuel? Why the manger and the shepherds? So that we would know how God is present with us. So that everything that is broken could be reconciled. This Advent season, can we just let that sink in a bit? Jesus came so that we would know how God is present with us. So that everything that is broken could be reconciled. And today we wanted to spend some time talking about how Jesus came to show us what God's love is like. We've talked presence and reconciliation, and today we want to talk love. How does Jesus show us what God's love is like? Because we can talk about it in theory, but remember what John says in the first chapter of his gospel, John 1, verse 18, no one has ever seen God but the one and only Son who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father has what? Has made him known. See, if we want to know what God's love is like, we can see it in Jesus. And we can hear it in the way John himself answers our question. Why did Jesus come? We're going to be moving back and forth between the Gospel of John and 1 John today. And love is maybe the core theme of John's Gospel and later writings. It's like he's done a good job listening and paying attention to what Jesus said and did. Remember that moment when one of the Jewish religious leaders asked Jesus what the greatest commandment is? Do you remember what Jesus answers? Matthew 22, starting in verse 37, Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and prophets hang on these two commandments. The one greatest commandment is love. Now, it's got two directions. Love God, love your neighbor. But all the law and the prophets, the ethic to live by and hope for the future, hang on love. Which you think would make this really easy. It's simple. It's clear. It's straightforward. Love God and love your neighbor. So you think this would be really easy, but it's not, is it? I'm not generally a fan of sweeping statements, but I'm about to make one. I think we live in a world that's lost an understanding of what love is. And I see it most in the way that we've transformed it into almost a commodity. Like a good to be brokered in exchange for something else or when certain conditions are met. And it all comes down to this word, if. I will love you if. And so much brokenness is created in the world and in us by this word, if. Because it creates a reality where love is conditional. It gets extended or withheld based on our ability or talent or capacity to make someone else happy. And look, the other side of this statement, I will love you if, the other side of that statement is I will be loved if. And that thought sticks with us in a way that's really hard to overcome. And whether we're aware of it or not, I think that thought sits just below the surface for many of us. It drives our fear of failure, our need to achieve, 
our concern for being well thought of, it's like this constant blanket of stress. It's anxiety that's always in the background. Because if means that there are terms that we can violate that causes love or a sense of being loved or lovable to end. That's terrifying. And if what John says later in 1 John 4 is true, that perfect love casts out all fear. Have you heard that verse before? There's no fear in love. Perfect love casts out all fear. If what John says is true, then why are so many of us afraid? Or running from the fact that we're afraid, pretending like we're not? I think it's because we've known an imperfect love. Or maybe we've known perfect love but we haven't known perfect love. See, Jesus came so that we would know God's presence. Jesus came to reconcile all things. But behind that presence, motivating that reconciliation is love. See, God didn't step into human history to micromanage the world. God didn't reconcile all things out of some compulsive need to have everything fixed. John 3.16, that passage that so many of us learned when we were little, that just like this story of Christmas can become so familiar, we almost need to be reminded of it again. John 3.16 says this, For God so, what? Loved. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. See, I think our minds naturally gravitate toward the second half of that verse. It seems to be where the stakes are high. But what if we gave the first half equal weight, remembered it with as much significance, that God so loved the world? Why did Jesus come? Because God loved the world. How does God love? What is this perfect love that casts out all fear, that isn't exchanged like a transaction? How do we see it in Jesus? I want us to spend some time with 1 John 4 today. Uh, John keeps developing his answer to why Jesus came. He opens this section in chapter 4, verse 7, and kind of teases the end, uh, summarizes his main point at the beginning. It's like seeing the spoilers for the film you're about to watch during the previews. Uh, speaking of which, the new Star Wars film came out this week. And if you haven't seen it yet, do your best to stay off the internet, because I hear the end is amazing. I mean, I don't think anyone saw it coming. That Ray. Is anyone going to stop me? <laughs> I don't think anyone saw it. That Ray was actually Jar Jar Binks in disguise the whole time. Oh, my bad. So sorry, I ruined it. Well, I saved you $14 and a few hours, I guess. For the record, not true. I made it all up. I haven't even seen the film yet. But John begins this section with... <laughs> There's Ray again. Looking fiercely, cheering for us. Uh, but John begins this section with the end. Take a look at 1 John 4, starting in verse 7. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes 
from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. See, John's bringing it back to what Jesus said is the greatest commandment. Love. That God's love for us and the way that we're supposed to love each other are deeply connected. So what does that love look like? Let's continue on in verse 9. This is how God showed his love among us. This is how we see it. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. See, God's love brings life. And so often the way that we experience and interact with love brings death. The death of a relationship. The death of a dream. The death of the way things were or never had the chance to be. But in Jesus' coming, we see a love that brings life. Remember John 1 from a couple weeks ago, verse 4 and 5. In him was life. And that life was the light of all mankind. That light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. See, God's love brings life in the person of Jesus. Literal, physical life in Jesus' power of resurrection. Spiritual life through the gift of salvation and restored whole life through reconciliation. And death in any of its forms, whether it's physical, spiritual, relational, emotional, death, no matter what kind, is no match for God's love that brings life. We carry so much death with us. But this is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world so that we might live through him. This Advent season, where is God's love calling us to life? And then John makes a remarkable statement about the kind of love God has for the world. The kind of love that's behind this presence and motivating this reconciliation that we see in Jesus. 1 John 4.10 This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. That Jesus came to show us God's love. And that love brings life. Here's the crazy thing. There was no requirement. This is love. Not that we loved God, but He loved us. There's no if, there's no conditions, there's no terms that needed to be met. See, in a world that's turned love into a commodity to be traded, a privilege to be earned, or an expectation to live up to, this is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we love God, but he loved us. See, this is why Bethlehem. This is why Mary and why Joseph and why the manger and why the shepherds and why the angels, because God wanted us to know love this way. 
Love that didn't come because we earned it. Love that didn't come because humanity was crushing it. But love that came as a result of humanity's failure rather than our success. There was no requirement for it. And if we could just pause for a moment. If there was one thing I hope that we can take with us today, it's understanding. Not just knowing, but knowing that this is how God loves the world. And that includes you. That our brokenness didn't push God away, but instead drew God near. This is the incredible reminder of the Christmas season that this is the way God loves the world. Enough to enter into the mess and not stand back and condemn it. Enough to reconcile our brokenness and not run from it, because that sounds like the way we love. That sounds like the way maybe that we've been treated by love. But that's not how God loves. See, Jesus came so that we could see how God is present with us. Jesus came to reconcile all things and make peace. And Jesus came because God loved the world. So that we could see how God loves. And there's a moment in John 13 I still can't quite wrap my mind and heart around. It's one of those passages that can get really familiar, but God's speaking to me through it in a really fresh way. I take a look at John chapter 13, starting in verse 1. It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave the world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. See, John wants us to know that everything we're about to read is motivated by love. That Jesus is about to make plainly visible the way that God loves. John 13, continuing on in verse 2, the evening meal was in progress. The devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. That's a really important detail. And because it creates a lot of tension with what John tells us next. Verse 3, Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from and and was returning to God. See, in that moment, it's crystal clear. All things had been put under his power. And there's a guy at the table who's going to betray him. In fact, pretty much anyone at that table in the next 72 hours will abandon him in his time of need and deny they ever knew him. You know what I would do if I was in that situation and all things had been put under my power? I would spoil the ending of Rise of Skywalker for everyone there, that's for sure. Do you know what Jesus does? The Word who became flesh, the infinite God of the universe who entered into human history to show us how God is present with us and to reconcile all things. Do you know what he does? John 13, verse 4. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, wrapped a towel around his waist, And after that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with a towel that was wrapped around him. 
See, you should have told him off. You should have left. He should have undiscipled them, whatever that means. But that's not what he does. Jesus, who came to show us the glory of the God whose love has no ifs, grabbed a towel and a wash basin and washed the feet of his disciples who would one, who would one by one systematically deny him over the course of the coming days. Because that's how God shows his love among his people. Why did Jesus come? Why Christmas? Why the story? Why Emmanuel? So that we could experience God's glory in a way that the world had never been able to fully grasp. So that we could see and know God's presence, God's reconciliation, and God's love in a way that takes hold of us. This Advent season, would these simple truths come alive in us once again? Would they cease to feel ropes? Would we reclaim the wonder of Emmanuel? God is with us. Would you pray with me? God, we thank you for your love that we didn't earn or deserve. We confess sometimes it's hard to even kind of like fathom or comprehend what that means. Our world has such a broken relationship with love. It's such a source of power for us to extend or withhold. I pray that the reality of what you did with that power would sink into us, that it would help us trust you To know that in a moment when all authority and power had been given to you, instead of using it to punish, you used it to serve. Would that sink into us? Would it help us know your love in a fresh way? Would it draw us to loving others in the same way? We come to your table now, grateful that you have come. Would your light shine in the darkness once again? We pray these things in and for your name. Amen.